Book 18, Chapters 48-54 through 54 of The City of God This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo, Book 18, Chapter 48 this house of God is more glorious than that first one which was constructed of wood and stone, metals, and other precious things. Therefore the prophecy of Haggai was not fulfilled in the rebuilding of that temple. For it can never be shown to have had so much glory after it was rebuilt as it had in the time of Solomon. Yea, rather, the glory of that house is shown to have been diminished, first by the ceasing of prophecy, and then by the nation itself suffering so great calamities, even to the final destruction made by the Romans, as the things above mentioned prove. But this house which pertains to the New Testament is just as much more glorious as the living stones, even believing renewed men, of which it is constructed, are better." but it was typified by the rebuilding of that temple for this reason because the very renovation of that edifice typifies in the prophetic oracle another testament which is called the new when therefore god said by the prophet just named and i will give peace in this place he has understood who is typified by that typical place for since by that rebuilt place is typified the church which was to be built by christ nothing else can be accepted as the meaning of the saying i will give peace in this place except i will give peace in the place which that place signifies for all typical things seem in some way to personate those whom they typify, as it is said by the Apostle, that rock was Christ. Therefore the glory of this New Testament house is greater than the glory of the Old Testament house, and it will show itself as greater when it shall be dedicated. For then shall come the desired of all nations, as we read in the Hebrew. For before his advent he had not yet been desired by all nations, for they knew not him whom they ought to desire, in whom they had not believed. Then also, according to the Septuagint interpretation, for it also is a prophetic meaning, shall come those who are elected of the Lord out of all nations. For then indeed there shall come only those who are elected, whereof the apostle saith, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. For the master-builder, who said, Many are called, but few are chosen, did not say this of those who, on being called, came in such a way as to be cast out from the feast, but would point out the house built up of the elect, which henceforth shall dread no ruin. Yet because the churches are also full of those who shall be separated by the winnowing, as in the threshing-floor, the glory of this house is not so apparent now, as it shall be when every one who is there shall be there always. CHAPTER 49 in this wicked world, in these evil days, when the church measures her future loftiness by her present humility, and is exercised by goading fears, tormenting sorrows, disquieting labors, and dangerous temptations, when she soberly rejoices, rejoicing only in hope, there are many reprobate mingled with the good, and both are gathered together by the gospel, as in a dragnet. And in this world, as in a sea, both swim enclosed without distinction in the net, until it is brought ashore, when the wicked must be separated from the good, that in the good, as in his temple, God may be all in all. 
We acknowledge indeed that his word is now fulfilled who spake in the psalm, and said, I have announced and spoken, they are multiplied above number. This takes place now, since he has spoken, first by the mouth of his forerunner John, and afterward by his own mouth, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He chose disciples, whom he also called apostles, of lowly birth, unhonored and illiterate, so that whatever great thing they might be or do, he might be and do it in them. He had one among them whose wickedness he could use well in order to accomplish his appointed passion, and furnish his church an example of bearing with the wicked. Having sown the holy gospel as much as that behooved to be done by his bodily presence, he suffered, died, and rose again, showing by his passion what we ought to suffer for the truth, and by his resurrection what we ought to hope for in adversity, saving always the mystery of the sacrament, by which his blood was shed for the remission of sins. He held converse on the earth forty days with his disciples, and in their sight ascended into heaven, and after ten days sent the promised Holy Spirit. It was given as the chief and most necessary sign of his coming on those who had believed that every one of them spoke in the tongues of all nations, thus signifying that the unity of the Catholic Church would embrace all nations, and would in like manner speak in all tongues. CHAPTER 50 then was fulfilled that prophecy, Out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem, and the prediction of the Lord Christ himself, when after the resurrection he opened the understanding of his amazed disciples, that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, That thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And again, when in reply to their questioning about the day of his last coming, he said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even unto the ends of the earth. First of all, the church spread herself abroad from Jerusalem, and when very many in Judea and Samaria had believed, she also went into other nations by those who announced the gospel, whom, as lights, he himself had both prepared by his word, and kindled by his Holy Spirit. For he had said to them, Fear ye not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. And that they might not be frozen with fear, they burned with fire of charity." Finally, the gospel of Christ was preached in the whole world, not only by those who had seen and heard him both before his passion and after his resurrection, but also after their death by their successors, amid the horrible persecutions, diverse torments, and deaths of the martyrs, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, that the people of the nations, believing in him who was crucified for their redemption, might venerate with Christian love the blood of the martyrs which they had poured forth with devilish fury, and the very kings by whose laws the church had been laid waste, might become profitably subject to that name they had cruelly striven to take away from the earth, and might begin to persecute the false gods for whose sake the worshippers of the true God had formerly been persecuted. CHAPTER 51 
But the devil, seeing the temples of the demons deserted, and the human race running to the name of the liberating mediator, has moved the heretics under the Christian name to resist the Christian doctrine, as if they could be kept in the city of God indifferently without any correction, just as the city of confusion indifferently held the philosophers who were of diverse and adverse opinions. Those, therefore, in the church of Christ who savour anything morbid and depraved, and, on being corrected that they may savour what is wholesome and right, contumaciously resist, and will not amend their pestiferous and deadly dogmas, but persist in defending them, become heretics, and, going without, are to be reckoned as enemies who serve for her discipline. For even thus they profit by their wickedness those true Catholic members of Christ, since God makes a good use even of the wicked, and all things work together for good to them that love him. For all the enemies of the church, whatever error blinds or malice depraves them, exercise her patience if they receive the power to afflict her corporally. And if they only oppose her by wicked thought, they exercise her wisdom. But at the same time, if these enemies are loved, they exercise her benevolence, or even her beneficence, whether she deals with them by persuasive doctrine, or by terrible discipline. And thus the devil, the prince of the impious city, when he stirs up his own vessels against the city of God that sojourns in this world, is permitted to do her no harm. For without doubt the divine providence procures for her both consolation through prosperity, that she may not be broken by adversity, and trial through adversity, that she may not be corrupted by prosperity. And thus each is tempered by the other, as we recognize in the Psalms that voice which arises from no other cause. According to the multitude of my griefs in my heart, thy consolations have delighted my soul. Hence also is that saying of the Apostle, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. For it is not to be thought that what the same teacher says can at any time fail. Whoever will live piously in Christ shall suffer persecution. Because even when those who are without do not rage, and thus there seems to be, and really is, tranquillity, which brings very much consolation, especially to the weak, yet there are not wanting, yea, there are many within, who by their abandoned manners torment the hearts of those who live piously, since by them the Christian and Catholic name is blasphemed. And the dearer that name is to those who will live piously in Christ, the more do they grieve that through the wicked, who have a place within, it comes to be less loved than pious minds desire. The heretics themselves also, since they are thought to have the Christian name and sacraments, scriptures and profession, cause great grief in the hearts of the pious, both because many who wish to be Christians are compelled by their dissensions to hesitate, and many evil speakers also find in them matter for blaspheming the Christian name, because they too are at any rate called Christians. By these and similar depraved manners and errors of men, those who will live piously in Christ suffer persecution, even when no one molests or vexes their body. For they suffer this persecution not in their bodies, but in their hearts. Whence is that word, according to the multitude of my griefs in my heart? For he does not say, in my body. Yet on the other hand, none of them can perish, because the immutable divine promises are thought of. And because the apostle says, The Lord knoweth them that are his, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, none of them can perish. Therefore it follows in that psalm, Thy consolations have delighted my soul. 
but that grief which arises in the hearts of the pious who are persecuted by the manners of bad or false christians is profitable to the sufferers because it proceeds from the charity in which they do not wish them either to perish or to hinder the salvation of others finally great consolations grow out of their chastisement which imbue the souls of the pious with a fecundity as great as the pains with which they were troubled concerning their own perdition thus in this world in these evil days not only from the time of the bodily presence of christ and his apostles but even from that of abel whom first his wicked brother slew because he was righteous and thenceforth even to the end of this world the church has gone forward on pilgrimage amid the persecutions of the world and the consolations of god chapter fifty two I do not think, indeed, that what some have thought or may think is rashly said or believed, that until the time of Antichrist the Church of Christ is not to suffer any persecutions besides those she has already suffered, that is, ten, and that the eleventh and last shall be afflicted by Antichrist. They reckon as the first that made by Nero, the second by Domitian, the third by Trajan, the fourth by Antoninus, the fifth by Severus, the sixth by Maximin, the seventh by Decius, the eighth by Valerian, the ninth by Aurelian, the tenth by Diocletian and Maximian. For as there were ten plagues in Egypt before the people of God could begin to go out, they think this is to be referred to as showing that the last persecution by Antichrist must be like the eleventh plague, in which the Egyptians, while following the Hebrews with hostility, perished in the Red Sea when the people of God passed through on dry land. Yet I do not think persecutions were prophetically signified by what was done in Egypt, however nicely and ingeniously those who think so may seem to have compared the two in detail, not by the prophetic spirit, but by the conjecture of the human mind, which sometimes hits the truth, and sometimes is deceived. But what can those who think this say of the persecution in which the Lord himself was crucified? In which number will they put it? and if they think the reckoning is to be made exclusive of this one, as if those must be counted which pertain to the body, and not that in which the head himself was set upon and slain, what can they make of that one which, after Christ ascended into heaven, took place in Jerusalem when the blessed Stephen was stoned, when James the brother of John was slaughtered with a sword, when the apostle Peter was imprisoned to be killed, and was set free by the angel, when the brethren were driven away and scattered from Jerusalem, when Saul, who afterward became the Apostle Paul, wasted the church, and when he himself, publishing the glad tidings of the faith he had persecuted, suffered such things as he had inflicted, either from the Jews or from other nations, where he most fervently preached Christ everywhere. Why then do they think fit to start with Nero, when the church in her growth had reached the times of Nero, amid the most cruel persecutions, about which it would be too long to say anything? But if they think that only the persecutions made by kings ought to be reckoned, it was King Herod who also made a most grievous one after the ascension of the Lord. And what account do they give of Julian, whom they do not number in the ten? Did not he persecute the church who forbade the Christians to teach or learn liberal letters? Under him the elder Valentinian, who was the third emperor after him, stood forth as a confessor of the Christian faith, and was dismissed from his command in the army. 
I shall say nothing of what he did at Antioch, except to mention his being struck with wonder at the freedom and cheerfulness of one most faithful and steadfast young man, who, when many were seized to be tortured, was tortured during a whole day, and sang under the instrument of torture, until the emperor feared lest he should succumb under the continued cruelties, and put him to shame at last, which made him dread and fear that he would be yet more dishonorably put to the blush by the rest. Lastly, within our own recollection, did not Valens the Arian, brother of the foresaid Valentinian, waste the Catholic Church by great persecution throughout the East? But how unreasonable it is not to consider that the Church, which bears fruit and grows through the whole world, may suffer persecution from kings in some nations, even when she does not suffer it in others. Perhaps, however, it was not to be reckoned a persecution when the king of the Goths, in Gothia itself, persecuted the Christians with wonderful cruelty, when there were none but Catholics there, of whom very many were crowned with martyrdom, as we have heard from certain brethren who had been there at that time as boys, and unhesitatingly called to mind that they had seen these things. And what took place in Persia of late? Was not persecution so hot against the Christians, if even yet it is allayed, that some of the fugitives from it came even to Roman towns? When I think of these and the like things, it does not seem to me that the number of persecutions with which the church is to be tried can be definitely stated. But on the other hand, it is no less rash to affirm that there will be some persecutions by kings besides that last one, about which no Christian is in doubt. Therefore we leave this undecided, supporting or refuting neither side of this question, but only restraining men from the audacious presumption of affirming either of them. Chapter 53 Truly Jesus himself shall extinguish by his presence that last persecution which is to be made by Antichrist. For so it is written, that he shall slay him with the breath of his mouth, and empty him with the brightness of his presence. It is customary to ask, When shall that be? But this is quite unreasonable. For had it been profitable for us to know this, by whom could it better have been told than by God himself, the Master, when the disciples questioned him? For they were not silent when with him, but inquired of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time present the kingdom to Israel, or when? But he said, It is not for you to know the times which the Father hath put in his own power. When they got that answer, they had not at all questioned him about the hour, or day, or year, but about the time. In vain, then, do we attempt to compute definitely the years that may remain to this world, when we may hear from the mouth of the truth that it is not for us to know this. Yet some have said that four hundred, some five hundred, others a thousand years may be completed from the ascension of the Lord up to his final coming. But to point out how each of them supports his own opinion would take too long, and is not necessary, for indeed they use human conjectures and bring forward nothing certain from the authority of the canonical scriptures. But on this subject he puts aside the figures of the calculators, and orders silence, who says, It is not for you to know the times which the Father hath put in his own power. But because this sentence is in the gospel, it is no wonder that the worshippers of the many and false gods have been none the less restrained from feigning that by the responses of the demons, whom they worship as gods, it has been fixed how long the Christian religion is to last. 
for when they saw that it could not be consumed by so many and great persecutions, but rather drew from them wonderful enlargements, they invented I know not what Greek verses as if poured forth by a divine oracle to some one consulting it, in which indeed they make Christ innocent of this, as it were, sacrilegious crime, but add that Peter by enchantments brought it about that the name of Christ should be worshipped for three hundred and sixty-five years, and after the completion of that number of years, should at once take end. O oh, the hearts of learned men! O oh, learned wits, meet to believe such things about Christ, as you are not willing to believe in Christ, that his disciple Peter did not learn magic arts from him, yet that although he was innocent his disciple was an enchanter, and chose that his name rather than his own should be worshipped through his magic arts, his great labours and perils, and at last even the shedding of his blood. If Peter the enchanter made the world so love Christ, what did Christ the innocent do to make Peter so love him? Let them answer themselves then, and, if they can, let them understand that the world, for the sake of eternal life, was made to love Christ by that same supernal grace which made Peter also love Christ, for the sake of the eternal life to be received from him, and that even to the extent of suffering temporal death for him. And then what kinds of gods are these, who are able to predict such things, yet are not able to avert them, succumbing in such a way to a single enchanter and wicked magician, who, as they say, having slain a yearling boy and torn him to pieces, buried him with nefarious rites, that they permitted the sect hostile to themselves to gain strength for so great a time, and to surmount the horrid cruelties of so many great persecutions, not by resisting, but by suffering, and to procure the overthrow of their own images, temples, rituals, and oracles. Finally, what god was it, not ours certainly, but one of their own, who was either enticed or compelled by so great wickedness to perform these things? For those verses say that Peter bound not any demon, but a god to do these things. Such a god have they who have not Christ. CHAPTER 54 I might collect these and many similar arguments, if that year had not already passed, by which lying divination has promised, and deceived vanity has believed. But as a few years ago three hundred and sixty-five years were completed since the time when the worship of the name of Christ was established by his presence in the flesh, and by the apostles, what other proof need we seek to refute that falsehood? For not to place the beginning of this period at the nativity of Christ, because as an infant and boy he had no disciples, yet when he began to have them, beyond doubt the Christian doctrine and religion then became known through his bodily presence, that is, after he was baptized in the river Jordan by the ministry of John. From this account that prophecy went before concerning him, he shall reign from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. But since before he suffered and rose from the dead the faith had not yet been defined to all, but was defined in the resurrection of Christ, for so the apostle Paul speaks to the Athenians, saying, But now he announces to men that all everywhere should repent, because he hath appointed a day in which to judge the world in equity, by the man in whom he hath defined the faith to all men, raising him from the dead. It is better that in settling this question we should start from that point, especially because the Holy Spirit was then given, just as he behooved to be given after the resurrection of Christ, in that city from which the second law, that is, the New Testament, ought to begin. For the first, which is called the Old Testament, was given from Mount Sinai through Moses. 
But concerning this which was to be given by Christ, it was predicted, Out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem, whence he himself said that repentance in his name behooved to be preached among all nations, but yet beginning at Jerusalem. There, therefore, the worship of this name took its rise, that Jesus should be believed in, who died and rose again. There this faith blazed up with such noble beginnings, that several thousand men, being converted to the name of Christ with wonderful alacrity, sold their goods for distribution among the needy, thus, by a holy resolution and most ardent charity, coming to voluntary poverty, and prepared themselves amid the Jews who raged and thirsted for their blood, to contend for the truth even to death, not with armed power, but with more powerful patience. If this was accomplished by no magic arts, why do they hesitate to believe that the other could be done throughout the whole world by the same divine power by which this was done? But supposing Peter wrought that enchantment so that so great a multitude of men at Jerusalem was thus kindled to worship the name of Christ, who had either seized and fastened him to the cross, or reviled him when fastened there, we must still inquire when the three hundred and sixty-five years must be completed, counting from that year. Now Christ died when the Gemini were consuls, on the eighth day before the calends of April. He rose the third day, as the apostles have proved by the evidence of their own senses. Then, forty days after, he ascended into heaven. Ten days after, that is, on the fiftieth after his resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit. Then three thousand men believed when the apostles preached him. Then, therefore, arose the worship of that name, as we believe, and according to the real truth, by the efficacy of the Holy Spirit, but, as impious vanity is feigned or thought, by the magic arts of Peter. A little afterward, too, on a wonderful sign being wrought, when at Peter's own word a certain beggar, so lame from his mother's womb that he was carried by others, and laid down at the gate of the temple, where he begged alms, was made whole in the name of Jesus Christ, and leaped up, five thousand men believed, and thenceforth the church grew by sundry accessions of believers. Thus we gather the very day with which that year began, namely, that on which the Holy Spirit was sent, that is, during the Ides of May. And, on counting the consuls, the three hundred and sixty-five years are found completed on the same Ides in the consulate of Honorius and Eutychianus. Now, in the following year, in the consulate of Malleus Theodorus, when, according to that oracle of the demons or figment of men, there ought already to have been no Christian religion, it was not necessary to inquire what perchance was done in other parts of the earth. But as we know, in the most noted and eminent city, Carthage, in Africa, Gaudentius and Jovius, officers of the Emperor Honorius, on the fourteenth day before the calends of April, overthrew the temples and broke the images of the false gods. And from that time to the present, during almost thirty years, who does not see how much the worship of the name of Christ has increased, especially after many of those became Christians who had been kept back from the faith by thinking that divination true, but saw, when that same number of years was completed, that it was empty and ridiculous? We, therefore, who are called and are Christians, do not believe in Peter, but in him whom Peter believed, being edified by Peter's sermons about Christ, not poisoned by his incantations, and not deceived by his enchantments, but aided by his good deeds. Christ himself, who was Peter's master in the doctrine which leads to eternal life, is our master too. 
But let us now at last finish this book, after thus far treating of, and showing as far as seemed sufficient, what is the mortal course of the two cities, the heavenly and the earthly, which are mingled together from the beginning down to the end. Of these the earthly one has made to herself of whom she would, either from any other quarter, or even from among men, false gods whom she might serve by sacrifice. But she which is heavenly, and is a pilgrim on the earth, does not make false gods, but is herself made by the true God, of whom she herself must be the true sacrifice. Yet both alike either enjoy temporal good things, or are afflicted with temporal evils, but with diverse faith, diverse hope, and diverse love, until they must be separated by the last judgment, and each must receive her own end, of which there is no end. About these ends of both we must next treat. End of Book 18, Chapters 48-54 through 54. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.